This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to the Pride of West London podcast. Besotted crew is slightly depleted today. There's only three of us, which is quite great, actually. We're, we're, we're small but perfectly formed this evening. And we are at the Prince Belusia on Twickenham Green. It's, uh, we always say it's uh, a prince of, prince of pubs in Twickenham. I love this place. It's uh, cosy, really warm tonight. It's cold out there. Um, the fire's, fire's roaring in here, and we're warmed by... Well, what are you drinking, the Allard? You're drinking Pride Unfiltered yeah, and yeah. The, um, the Dutchman's on the, the frontier, I think he is. Front, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're warming, our, warming our jowls um, and avoiding all kind of trick-or-treat nonsense. It's Halloween. There's a, oh, the Allard's found a typewriter. We have Matt the Allard Allard here. He's, uh, he's stopped writing his novel for five seconds and he's going he's gonna to chat to us. The Allard... You went. How are you, mate? I was just distracted by the typewriter. It's an Olympia Carina Mark II for those that are into their typewriter porn. Um, so yeah, I'm all right. You? Not as good as the uh, Mark One. Mark One was classic. Was it? Yeah. Did it have a, like a slightly a bit more action on the old? I don't even know what that is. What's it called? Oh, return, return arm. Return arm. Return arm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that. It's not. This isn't a great thing, is it? For those that can't see the typewriter. So um, let's. I'll move on. I'll move on. So apart from that, you're all right. Yeah, I'm not bad at all. Um, it's a nice little stroll for me down to the Blue Um Lovely little pub. We get the, the little private room. Last time we were in here, they, they'd, they were storing lots of televisions with the World Cup over. They've managed to, to, to lose those TVs. I don't know where they are now. Pretty nicked. Probably, yeah. And um, yes, yeah, but it's a, it's a great little spot, this. I really like it. It's, um, there's a few little books in here. There's a couple of, you know, wisdom um, annuals in here and um, yeah no not no wisdom wisdom <laughs> and are they rugby boots or um football boots dutch they look a bit they're big boots aren't they whatever they are and we have the dutchman the dutchman how are you my dutch friend i'm very well thank you mr lane um very well my, my local as well happy to be here on a uh, and get out from the house and annoy all those annoying little buggers banging on my door all night uh, for trick or treat so well, welcome, and I'm, I'm Dave Lane. Um, Billy's not here this week. He's uh, he's gone wandering. He's in Turkey, I think he is. Um, and uh, as it is Halloween, there's there, there's a, a couple of things. We obviously we're not gonna we're not gonna pander to that American nonsense too much. But there'll be um, we did a we did a kind of a, um, a, an ask around for people to suggest some uh, Halloween themed XBs and Brentford. Um, personalities, so we'll we'll read a few of them out later on, and maybe a couple of howls. But there's more important stuff to talk about, and well, I guess actually it is Halloween related because October. We're we're in the last day of October today, and it is Halloween, and it's been a horrendous month for us. Two points is is that it? Is that all that October's given us? Is two draws and, and three defeats. It, it, it's not what we hoped. It's not what we expected. Um, the latest defeat was Norwich at Carrow Road on, on Saturday. The Allards 
you know, obviously Norwich and going away with you know our crew is always always a good fun. But on the serious side of it, to come away with nil point again is just ghouling. So you know what what you know what did you take out of the game? Was there any plus points? Um, I, the first thing is is that it was the hardest of the three games. Um, you would think because of the form that Nor- Norwich are in at the moment. Um, they've just gone fourth in the table. So I think you probably have to put, you know, there's a little bit of perspective from that. Um, it was, uh, was it a horror show? It wasn't a horror show, um, but it was unfortunately a bit more of the same. It was just not, something's not quite clicking and it's difficult to say what it is. Um, I'm sure confidence is, is, is a big part of it. Um, Norwich were okay. I suspect that they'll be. Um, I suspect they'll be around the playoffs. They're not a bad side. They're not. I don't think they're going to be like you know storming the league or anything like that. So, so there's some perspective on both sides there. I think um, overall, it was almost the. Perf- I hate to say it, but it was the performance you kind of expected. We we were in the pub for two and a half, three hours before the game, and I think we all kind of felt that. That what happened could happen and voice that um, and you know and, and it, it gets the point and we've been there at least two or three times in the last few seasons where you do wonder where the next win is coming from and you do wonder what will change what will you know what the change will be is it an improved performance or is it a lucky goal off someone's arse or something like that um, I think the Viber moment at um, Forest uh, two seasons ago is the one that everybody remembers when suddenly there was a you know there was a, a mess up um, on the Forest side this lucky sort of fluky goal and um, and then everything turned from there and is that what we're looking for and um, but that's not really the way it should be you know we should just be able to turn a performance in and um, and turn the corner but I at the moment you wonder when that's going to happen. A lot of people were hoping that the turning point could have been when Bentley made the penalty save just just literally before the half time whistle blew you know but a, a, was there a reaction well i think the point is it was just before the half time whistle so that so ultimately there wasn't time for a reaction if if maybe if it i mean maybe if it happened 15 or 20 minutes before um they went in for half time. That gives you an opportunity for the players to sort of react to something like that. Compete and be like, "Yeah, come on, come on," and that sort of thing. Um, the only other point is that it was a very important save because if we'd gone in at half time at two nil, uh, who, who knows what could have happened? It is. It, it did feel a bit like that. I mean, it was a massive save, but ultimately, it didn't. It didn't help us. And the pl- plus points from the Brentford perspective, these, I guess. Um, although it didn't seem like it when we were 3-0 down at Preston after 15 minutes, the three defeats have by, been by a single goal. So you, you could argue yeah. they've been narrow, but it doesn't, it, does, it doesn't really, it, doesn't, it can't mask the fact that three defeats is, is really, really not acceptable. No, it's not acceptable at all for where we want to be. Uh, I guess, you know, we, we always try and be very positive on these pods when we do, and you could look at the, you know, the home game and say... Ten men, unfair sending off, a little bit unlucky. Preston away, you know, generally wasn't great, was it? I mean, you know, there was a good comeback and a bit of spirit and a, you know, probably a, a really classy goal that probably didn't quite get the credit that it deserved due to the result and the rest of it. And then Norwich away, as you said, is probably that sort of game where you wouldn't necessarily expect to go there and win anyway. So, yeah, you can look at it in a positive or negative way, but you can't get away from the fact that we've got two points in the month. Three defeats since Frank's been in charge. A couple of draws before that from um, Smith in his last two games, and we need to turn it around. I mean, are, are we playing much worse than we were before? Probably not. Have we had a little bit less luck? You know, I think we all agreed we put a little bit of fortune in some of those wins at the start of the season that was missing the previous year. Perhaps luck even itself out. I don't know. It seems to be strange how quickly luck turns around. You know, look at Leeds and their dodgy ref decisions and how that turns. So quickly, you know, and yeah, I don't think there's anything long term we need to worry about. We're a decent team, but it's certainly dropped us to the wrong end of the table. And you know, we'll, we'll, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure, we'll, we'll turn it around on Saturday and start to move again. But we've got we've got more of a gap to to build and we and to catch up with. So you know, we were, you know, let's not forget we were the bookies, we were literally the bookies' favourites just six or seven weeks ago. So I mean, I say unacceptable. Um, there's nothing unacceptable about losing. You know. Against real quality opposition in the in the championship, I'm not I'm not saying we've got a divine right to win every week. We haven't, you know, but we were starting to believe that we were becoming the real deal. We had a really good start. 
um, it wasn't based on fluke. It was based on playing really good football. Uh, the football, you're right to say, hasn't necessarily altered that much. Teams have set themselves up differently. They've either got either sussed us or they know how to stop us playing a little bit or we've just stopped taking chances or creating different kinds of chances to the ones we were creating in the first sort of half a dozen <coughs> or ten games of the season. How, you know, is, is there any reason to get overly concerned, the Allard? Um, I don't think... I mean, I don't know what we mean by overly concerned there. Anyone that was shooting for the top two... Um, yeah, they need to be overly concerned because I'm not sure we are, but then I never thought we were. Um, I I think those that are worried about us being relegated, I don't think they need to be overly concerned because I, I firmly believe there's, you know, that there are much worse teams in this league than us and we will turn the corner, um, even if we don't do it in the next, you know, two or three games. We, we, we will turn the corner in the end. Um, so... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I'd say yeah. If, if if you really, if you've put three hundred quid on us to win the league, you need to be overly concerned for sure, um, because I just don't think that um, we you, you can have a run like this, um, potentially lose some more games. I mean, the, the bottom line is, aren't we? Before the Norwich game, we were more or less in the same position that we've been in for the last four seasons at this point of the season, and in those seasons, we finished what between fifth and tenth, um, and that is potentially what we're looking at again this season. Um, you know, we've... we've uh, is that overly concerning? I, I'm, not, I'm not personally sure it is that overly concerning. I just think that's where we are. You know, we're a team that can push the playoffs. Um, so, you know, and, and in terms of pushing the playoffs, yeah, we're a few points off it at the moment, but a few wins will get you back into that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the consistency shown over nine months, and, you know, it's, it's something that we've seen. You know, you, you're going to get times in the season where you're, you look invincible, there's times in the season like we are in the moment, you can't, you can't buy a win and there's times where you can't stop drawing uh, it's, you know, Sheffield United had a real stinky start to the season and everyone's going, what the hell's going on there and now they find themselves top do we stick to our guns, do we stick to our football philosophy or do we need to mix it a bit more? My personal opinion, we, we, we stick to what we do I don't think there's any reason to to fear yet I mean, the, the, the benchmark I would always use is when we're playing these teams you know, have we played anyone yet where we go do you know what they're that much better than us you know, we, we can't compete at the top we've played Leeds away and probably you know, matched them stroke you know, outplayed them for a bit um, you know, we've we played these top teams no one looks better than us I mean there's teams perhaps more consistent than us this team perhaps with their size and momentum you know, that are quite difficult to stop once they get that, that run going that perhaps we don't quite Capitalise on we you know when, when we do get going, but you know, I'm still convinced every game that we'll win. We don't go to any game. I don't mean that in a, in a blind, optimistic, um, myopic vision. I mean we generally think we've got a chance of beating everybody that we play. You know, even leads away, we went there thinking we got a chance of getting something out of this. So yeah. I think you know, unless that stops me personally, I, we, we'll turn it around. It's such a tight division. We know full well that were we to win the next two, three, four games, we'll be back up in the playoffs again and. Um, it, it'll just be a blip. So I, I think we need to stick to our guns, and I think there's a danger you change too much. I think there's a little bit of danger of, you know, not sure what your best midfield is again, and a home midfield and away midfield, and a, you know we've been there before where you perhaps over tinker and over engineer a solution for something that perhaps doesn't need fixing. Um, yeah, we, we need. We need. I think we we know we probably need um, a couple of players. We all know where we need them. We've talked about it many a time, but. Where we are at the moment, I don't think there's that much to change. But I mean, we're struggling with this over reliance on Neil Morpé. Is you know, is there's there seems to be competition in pretty much every area apart from the number nine. Yeah, yes, of course we've got options there. We could play other people there, but we've we've discovered or we've um, you know we've we've seen that though the people that we would play there are better in their stronger strongest positions you know Ollie Watkins being you know, you know the prime candidate there we can't actually solve this problem until January but do you see it based on based on experience and looking how Brentford normally um, do their business we could actually be going through the whole season with just nil more pay you know that they they've clearly got faith in him um, is that ultimately going to be the, the our Achilles heel? Is that is that going to be the area where it really really does sort of bring you know drag us back? 
Yeah, I'm not sure that's the problem per se. I mean, certainly if he was injured, we'd have to put someone else in there. I mean, I'd probably argue the problem is more that we just have that one goal-scoring position at the moment. And last year, you had someone like Watkins, who, you know, I think by his own admission, hasn't hit the heights of last year. So he's not really contributing the goals. I think Canals has stepped up in recent weeks, but we just don't get enough goals from the rest of the, the team. And, you know, be it Malpay at number nine or someone else at number nine, I'm not sure that's the problem position albeit we haven't got enough recognised strikers, but we need goals from the rest and we don't get enough from McCreckham, McLeod, Camo, Nico, Permany, you know, three Sawyers even this year, you know, Permany three from those five or six and the centre-halves don't really score many goals and the full-packs don't get any and, you know, that that's where your reliance is on that one person and I'm not sure that's a Malpay individual you know, problem that we've got. It's more about how we're going to get those goals. Are we not shooting when we get opportunities? Is it the pass too many, the, the beautiful football, the intricacy and the try and walk it into the net scenario? Or do we just need some, you know, a couple of 20 yarders from someone else and take that you know, reliance? It is, you know, Malpe had the miss on Saturday against Norwich, but to be fair to the bloke, no one else had many shots. And it's, you know, it's, he's, he's done his piece this year. We need others to step up and support him. As besotted regulars will probably well know by now, Monday night has become the besotted radio show night. Um, Over the last few weeks, we've introduced a few guests. Some of them we've set up, some of them Love Sport have set up. And uh, on Monday, I was uh, emailed to say, tonight we've got you, Mark Warburton. And I thought, ah, ah, great, but ah, yeah, it's a bit of a, poison chalice I thought um, obviously it's you know great for the show to get an ex-Brentford manager or a brentford head coach on there but it's all we were always going to be left with elephant in the room questions because I know for a fact that Mark cannot and Brentford FC cannot talk about what happened for legal reasons they've, they've come to an agreement that they'll protect each other's positions and they'll not talk about it um, and knowing that it was always going to be really difficult to actually push him. Um, so, you know, for, for better or for worse, we, we did the interview. We obviously, you know, we've got, we've got to be professional about it. It's, it's just always difficult that his, his time at Brentford is going to be overshadowed by, you know, the sacking, the departure, the, you know, the, you know all the gubbins that went around that and the bad mouthing of uh, Brentford Football Club by the press and the, the takings of sides. So anyway, so, you know, with, with that, armed with that information, you know, here's the interview. I thought, I thought Mark Warburton spoke about Brentford in really positive terms. Um, he, he gave Thomas Frank um, a lot of encouragement. He, he seemed to uh, give Matt Benham um, some props. Um, and, you know, it's, it's I think, um, it underlines how Brentford Football Club has come out of the last two years better than Mark Warburton has. <laughs> Yeah, delighted to welcome on former Brentford manager Mark Warburton onto Love Sport this evening. Mark, how are you? Very well, thank you. How's things? Yeah, all good, all good. Thanks uh, for joining us this evening. Um, let's just start, obviously, with, you know, the, the poor run of form Brentford are in. Thomas Frank, uh, uh, the new manager at the club, taking over uh, after Dean Smith's uh, departure to Aston Villa. Um, what do you make of, of the situation there so far and, and and have you caught many of their games? Yeah, I've caught a lot, a lot of the games. But, I mean, you say poor run of form. But the league is so tight. The, the, the margins in the games are so fine. They've had a couple of difficult fixtures. Been unfortunate to get all, all, all three points in some occasions. But that's the nature of the league. But with the transition to Thomas, it will take time. But there's, there's no panic. That's for sure. They're, they're still a very talented team. Uh, and they'll take many points this season. So it's a setback last three games, but uh, I'm sure they'll bounce back strongly. Hi, Mark. It's uh, Dave Lane here. Hey, um, hey Dave. How's yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. Um, you know, looking back, you, know, you took over from Uwe Rosler, um, and you, you got us promoted. And you know, we had that amazing first first season in the Championship um, with Thomas Frank 
taking over from Dean Smith, it's, it's, it's a kind of like it's a similar kind of situation where someone internally takes over the baton. Um, how, how important is that continuity on the training ground with the players, continuing with what they know? I think it's very helpful in so many different aspects. You know, the, obviously the training ground aspect you mentioned, but the, but the fact he knows the players individually, he knows their strengths and weaknesses, he knows their problems on or off the field, um, and the squad know him and, and how he conducts his business. So that really does help with stability and continuity. Um, it'll be important. I'm, I'm intrigued to see who Thomas brings in as an assistant for him. Obviously with Dean and Richard both going, it'll be key to see what he does. He'll, he'll need some help and support, that's for sure. I, I only hear very good things about his coach's ability on a training ground, so I'm sure that's no problem at all. But I think obviously Dean had a very, uh, very affable personality. I don't know Thomas at all, but I think the personality will be a big thing. The players are used to with Dean uh, and how Thomas takes over that mantle as well. Uh, and as I say, he's number two coming in. What sort of role he'll play in that area? And after you know three defeats in your first three games is obviously not the start that any anyone wants. Um, at what stage does the pressure start to build when you're kind of like thinking, "Oh, this is this is this isn't what I thought was going to happen." No, I don't think that happens. I, I think, as I say, in, in Matthew and the board, they've got very sensible owners, understandable with really expectation, and they know that transition is underway. Dean, Dean leaving was inevitable in terms of the Willa come calling, uh, and I'm sure Brentford were prepared for that, I've no doubt. So, Thomas coming in, as I say, the margins are so fine, and he's been unfortunate, you know, and the question you could say that they were three down in, in almost no time at all, and so a lot of spirit to come back and, and could have equalised. So, it's that type of league, it demands on you, it causes you problems at times, but, you know, they, they win a couple of games and they're back, they're back near the top six. That's the nature of the championship, and I've no doubt they'll do that. The squad is strong. Um, very talented players in that group. Thomas knows how they play, so I've got no doubts about that. And you, you know, you going to Glasgow Rangers and Dean going to Aston Villa. Do you think there's a kind of a similarity in stature of those two clubs? In the t- and it also is like the, the expectation when you get there. Yeah, cause there, there, there is obviously there's no disrespect to Brentford at all, but the likes of Aston Villa, obviously European champions, and Glasgow Rangers were there with their pedigree and their European history as well, and obviously their domestic history. They're, they're big, big clubs, huge expectation and massive fan base, etc. So that's a that's a different a different league, so to speak. But um, but Brentford have their aspirations, and as a new stadium being built and making good progress there, as I say, a strong squad, really solid club, really well run by Matthew and the board. So they're in a good position. You know, they'll be the envy of many clubs, I'm sure. Their recruitment has proven to be outstanding, um, and there's so many positives about Brentford. So three changes. Three games is nothing. It happens. It's a fine margin of the league. They get three victories or they get two wins out of the next three games, and all is well again. And then when you, when you do make that step up, you know, to to those to those stat, stature of club as, you, as we talk about, do you, is, how how different is it from the safety of the, the, the comparative safety of Griffin Park and that set up? You, do you feel like you're you, you've left something? You've almost left a family to to go and live abroad. Is it is it is it so? It must be. It must have been so different. To to go to a club like Rangers compared to Brentford? It, it is very different, but all credit to, to Brentford and the supporters. You know, you, you, you use the word family, but, and, and it really is like that. You know, you feel part of something very special. Um, and, and the fans, I always use the word honest, and, and, and I put working class, I mean that in the nicest possible way. By that, I mean that they work hard for their money, they want to come and support their team home and away, and they want to see the players commit 100%. That was always my impression of Brentford from the first day at the club. And that's the least you did, the players should um, should give to the support of Griffin Park. And you leave that, and you leave that tight family community feel, uh, and you go into the, the vast cauldrons of a Rangers or a Villa. But the same principle should apply. Your, your players should always give 100%. So, in my opinion, Brentford was a fantastic learning learning ground, training ground, whatever you want to call it, to prepare any manager or coach for, for a bigger environment. So it's all credit to Brentford and said the supporters were, were first class from day one. I'm sure Dean would echo those sentiments. So, so, so going back to obviously you taking over from Uve, the promotion, which was an amazing day, it was an amazing feat. No one would ever forget that at, at Brentford. Then that, uh, that, that, you know, just this euphoric finish to the to the season. You know, if we finished fifth, although we didn't ultimately get to the to the Premier League, it was just. Uh, 
it was it was a season again that was just it was it, the the football was great the players were great everything seemed to be working um, fine until obviously the, the the decision you know the 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 news that broke how dif- how difficult was it for you to keep the players focused after that had happened. Now you mentioned the, the football was good and the players. All credit to the players. Yeah, it's all about the players and uh, and their mentality and their strength of character. Um, and and the group was really tight. The unity, the desire within the group was first class. We had some some great senior players, like the Macker and, and, and Dougie, etc., and Tony Craig, and we had some really young, hungry, talented players. Um, and new guys coming on board as well, like some Hotter. But I think the unity was first class, and and I can't speak high enough about that group of players. And what happened happened, but they showed a real focus um, and a keenness to, to keep taking the team forward. And obviously that that Watford game was uh, an emotional one. I never, I personally never forget that. And Andre Gray's reaction. But um, I think, as I say, I think for me it's all about the players throughout that entire season. Uh, and I can't, I'm repeating myself here. I can't speak high enough because it would have been easy to to take the soft option. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. They maintained that focus and the drive. And I think you'd agree some of the performances into the final game of the season were first class. And home and away, they showed a real hunger and a desire and a quality. And it just speaks volume for every single individual player. What needs to change for you at Brentford right now? Or, you know, what needs to change with Thomas Frank? Is there anything that you're looking at? And, and obviously with your coaching experience going, well, you know what, I can see something like a gaping hole there or something. What are you looking at and what are you seeing? Oh, nothing, without being rude, nothing needs to change. They've literally had a, a tough run of, of, of games and they could very, very easily have taken points from the games. There's no panic. There's no you know, calamity at Griffin Bart. Far from it. You know, he's just settling into the job. It's new for Thomas. He has all the coaching quality, I'm sure. He's getting used to that new role. Uh, there's no panic whatsoever. And as I say, he has a really calm and assured management uh, in terms of the owner and the board. Uh, and for me, there's no worries. Of course, you don't want to lose games of football. Well, everyone wants to win every game you play. But... I wouldn't overestimate this. Don't don't make a man have a mouth. There's no problem whatsoever. And, and Thomas will have all the time he needs to, to get the job done and get the job right. On the back of that, do you reckon that obviously this is proven that, you know, the championship is one of the toughest leagues to go in and, and, and operate in? You know, especially with, you know, obviously the, let's just call them constraints that, that Brentford have in terms of recruitment. No, it, it, as I say, I think it's, it's, it's absolutely nice to everyone the demands of the championship, the relentless nature of the championship, that's the word that's always coming up when you talk about the league. But the, the, the quality throughout from top to bottom is unrivaled almost. So I think you can have some difficult patches. It's more than randomness for me. Matthew Vian always talk about the random nature of the game, the random events. You look at the Leeds game, for example, where they were so good in long patches. You look at the Leeds Forest game and Saturday with a handball and that's a point for Leeds and two points away from Forest. Those type of events for the different teams throughout the course of the season determine what happens come the final whistle. And as I say, I think, I think up to now, they may have been unfortunate in the last two or three games, but nothing needs to change. There's no doubt about the squad or lack of confidence. They'll be frustrated at losing games and dropping points, and they'll be very determined and eager to put that right. So in my mind, what do I see needs to change? Nothing whatsoever. Mark, have you got any, any regrets in your last sort of in that year at Brentford? You know, in in the January, do you think maybe we could have brought in a few players more just to strengthen it up, give us more of a chance in the running? Uh, obviously, what I mean, what happened is, uh, you know, Matthew and I know what happened, and that and that's fine. And, and I, as I always said, he's the owner. Absolutely, he puts the money in, and, and he, he backs the club, and it's his call. So no, I'm never going to have a problem or criticise that. I think I looked at it, and what I thought was good, and I always remember a stat that ourselves and Bournemouth used the fewest number of players. Um, we don't have any like Europa League, except to contend with at the time. So we had a tight-knit squad, and you could probably read off the 15, 16 players who, who started most weeks. Uh, and that, for me, was all credit to the medical team and the training, you know, the fitness guys as well. But we had that real tight unity, uh, and the players were hungry to, hungry to succeed and to deliver. Um, and I so said the fans obviously gave them a standing back in. So you can talk about getting players in. If I said to you, what, were you going to come and replace Andre? Were you going to come and replace Hotter or Stewie Dallas or Pitch or, you know, those type of players for sure? Bid well, I think the squad had, we had players who could play a number of positions and that gave us the flexibility. So, you know, whether Alex Pritchard played seven, eight, ten or eleven, 
he could have comfortably adapted to anywhere. Hotter could play left or right side. Stuart Dallas the same as he's shown for, for Leeds United. So we had players that flexibility. So could we have taken players in January? Well, if you want to bring in a proven goal scorer, fine. But I was always concerned about the unity and the, and the um, togetherness of the squad and making sure that I didn't rock that boat. So it's in hindsight be a marvellous thing. Maybe I could have, should have done. I don't know. But um, I'll, I'll never speak anything about very highly about the squad of players or the staff behind them. Hi, it's Gary here. Um, Brentford work in a way that allows them to punch, well, people always say they punch above their weight against the other teams. When you left Brentford, did you take things from that uh, model and implement them elsewhere? Or is it something that only really works the way Brentford work? I don't think it works just the way Brentford works. Um, I think it's it's a case of um, you know, you, you do your homework. You, know? you do. You have to make sure that, for example, the um, uh, the initial viewing, uh, the, the process in place there. I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's making sure that you have the expertise, you have the data, you do the due diligence, the character assessment, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to make sure that every every time you recruit a player or member of staff, it, it's a huge decision for any club, and you have to make sure that that process is fluid, is in place, and you abide by it. So, you know, for us, we were, we were very clear. And, and I know obviously when David, Frank and I worked together, if one person disagreed, we didn't proceed. We okay. didn't proceed with it. You mm-hmm. know, and behind the, behind the four walls, you would, you would talk it to death and go through everything and view every clip and, and go to the White Scout, whatever the platform may be. You'd do all your homework. You'd read the reports. You'd set the footage time and time again. Uh, and then when you, when you came to that unified decision, then we moved. And that's when it's important to have the fluidity to, to be able to move very quickly. Because yeah. obviously it's, it's uh, more and more people fishing a never smaller pond and they're all after the same players. So you have to make sure that you're in a position to move swiftly when the decision has been made. So, yeah, we, I learned so much from, from Matthew. Hopefully I was able to impart some knowledge as well. I'm going forward to the clubs like Glasgow and, and like Nottingham, etc. You're very keen to do the same. And I think those processes are, are fairly basic in nature, but they're, but they're proven. And as long as you abide by them, then mm-hmm. hopefully you're in a good place. OK. Uh, Mark, uh, you mentioned the, the coaching who would assist uh, Thomas Frank. It's a, a guy who's come in called Brian Reamer. Or Reimer. Uh, he's coming from Copenhagen. I'm not sure if you know him or know of him. But uh, the question I want to know, because you brought Kevin O'Connor into the coaching staff. Um, yeah. If Kevin, for his development as a coach, what do you think is the better move, for him to stay coaching our B team? Or if offered it, would he go alongside the two, Brian Reimer and Thomas Frank? No, I, I would never speak for Kevin. I've, I've just got enormous regard for him. He's Brentford through and through. Uh, I admire the way that he's going through his, you know, he's finished up his, um, his pro license now. So I've seen him on the course a few times um, and, and spoken with him. He's getting valuable experience with the 23s in terms of not just the coaching day to day, but also the quality of games that they're playing with his opponents. So he's, he's constantly improving his knowledge, he's improving his network of contacts. Um, sharing ideas of good practice, et cetera, et cetera. So Kevin's in a really good position. Uh, and, and the key now um, is, is what does he do? You know, the, I'm not avoiding your question here. Does he spend to do to the end of this season in terms of being with the 23s and then look to step up? What is, what is Kevin's ambition? Does he want to be an assistant manager, first team coach? Does he want to be the guy in charge himself? Again, all these questions only Kevin can answer. And, uh, and I've got so much respect for Kevin and he makes good decisions. So uh, a lot of respect for him as a, as a football person, but mm. as a man as well. So I've no doubt he will make the right decision. And I know discuss it with Matthew and the owners and the board, etc. I'm sure they'll come to a conclusion which suits both Kevin and, and Brent for the course. Mark, you said there's no need to worry, there's no need to panic um, about our little run that we're on at the moment. It's a, it's a nine-month season. Where, where, as a betting man, I know you like a flutter every now and again, whether it's on the currency markets or whether it's where, wherever it is. Where, if, you, if, if I gave you a, if I gave you a t- crisp twenty pound note, where, where are Brentford going to finish? I, I think if you check at the start of the season and people ask my opinion on, on various different media outlets, I, I was very quick to me that I, I thought Brentford would be one of the, the teams getting automatic promotion. Um, that was obviously before Dean, but I still think the squad is very strong. I think Thomas will step into the role as I said earlier. Uh, and they'll, they'll be up there. I don't think any team, if you ask any team in the championship, do you want to face Brentford on a good day? Certainly, they wouldn't. They would want to face Brentford because they can play football. They they, they play with a fearless style. Uh, they come to a home and away, as they've shown this season. Uh, and and for me, they're a very talented team still. So 
you know, I think we've got to be very, very careful, careful of, you know, shouts of panic and change. And it's such a small sample size in terms of three games. Uh, and we have to recognise the good work that's been done and, and just let Thomas grow into the role, which every person deserves, I'm sure. We talk about Millwall game um, in a little bit, and uh, but the thing that's really riled a lot of Brentford fans this week, rightly, is the uh, QPR away ticketing situation. For well, I don't know why they do it, but apparently they do it all the time for because of the entrances to the away end come from two completely different roads. QPR like to sell where possible the upstairs area out first because the tickets are more expensive. Then they sell the lower capacity bottom bottom tier out afterwards. This has caused Brentford fans a lot of grief. A lot of Brentford fans and a lot of football fans in general like to sort themselves out early. They like they don't want to wait until the last minute to be guaranteed their ticket. They want to get their ticket as soon as they're able to get them. And the fact is, people that wanted to sit downstairs have had to buy tickets upstairs. And people that have been waiting and waiting and waiting for the for the lower tier tickets to come on um, on stream have been kind of um, just not confident that that was going to happen. As well as that QPR fans have been ridiculing Brentford fans because we've only sold we were only sold 500 tickets uh, to a certain point because people are just waiting back until the lower tier came on order and it is just a really confusing and a really annoying situation where we're, we know that we're going to sell out all of the upper tier, so the bottom tier is always going to come on stream. So why don't they just sell both in the first place so everyone knows and everyone can get what they want? The Dutchman, you know, this is a little bit of a situation where, well, it's not a little bit, it's a, it's a big situation where the, 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 the home club, Queen's Park Rangers, are taking the piss a little bit. I don't know that... If they're taking the piss or we've got it horribly wrong, to be honest with you, all I know is it's a bit of a shambles, isn't it? You're saying to people, right, you've got the most ticket points or whatever you think is the right way to prioritise, you know, people who want those tickets, be they, you know, season ticket holders at home, travellers away, whatever it may be. You're saying, so you've got the most, you get the first choice and you get the first choice of the, the shit seats and the people who come right at the end get the choice of the ones that everybody wants and... Yeah, whether it's a, a financial thing or a you know, security thing, I don't know. But this, if we just looked at the numbers, is eighteen hundred upstairs and seven hundred downstairs. You know, most people that I know want to go downstairs, but that's perhaps the sort of people that I hang around with. But you're selling, <laughs> you're selling a whole bunch of tickets to people who don't want them, and you know, you'll end up selling tickets to the remaining people who want the other ones. So it's just an absolute. If we can't sell two and a half thousand tickets for QPR, it's a problem. So I don't understand why we just don't take two and a half thousand people, sell them. On mass day one, prioritise with the season ticket charter. You know, in terms of who gets first priority, and it's it's simple. It shouldn't be as complicated. Whose whose fault is this? Um, I know whose fault it's not. It's not the fans' fault. The um, and I think we need to rewind a bit and actually remind ourselves why you why I don't want to sit in the upper tier. Um, it's actually because you can't see a bit of the pitch because you can't see the goal line. Now, there may be seats you can and there are seats you can't, but I've been up there twice and I've not been able to see the goal line. And, um, and that's why I won't buy a seat in the upper tier, especially to pay more than in the lower tier when I can see all the pitch. Um, so, it, you know, for me, I've actually, through this fiasco, I've managed to accidentally buy a seat in the upper tier. And thanks to the good people at Brentford, they refunded it for me. And so I took my chance of getting a seat in the lower tier. Um, and... Um, that's, that's where I want to be because I know I can see all the pitch. Uh, you know that, and, and I'm sure there's other people who feel that way. There may be other reasons people want to go in the lower tier too, um, and and they're all fair because and you know and they're all absolutely fine. The bottom line is, if I thought we were only going to sell 1,500 tickets, I may be able to try and defend QPR, um, and and I'm not re- maybe Brentford too. I, I, I you know I'm not quite sure on exactly how this works and who's to blame do Brentford if they take a punt on selling both then have to buy all the tickets and um what they don't sell um will basically be charged to the club um and, and maybe that's a reason not to do that um at Brentford but um but I I know we're the ones that aren't to blame and I know we're the ones that sort of you know are trying to 
find out when we can buy a ticket that we can see the whole of the pitch. We've played we've played there four times, five times since since we got promotion promoted back into the second tier. Um, we got them in the cup as well. They've, they've, they've always been really good turnouts. I mean, they may not be capacity sellouts, but that doesn't really matter. But there's always been enough people to, to bring both tiers of the stadium into, into play. This is what baffles me this time. I, I don't, do we, we didn't have this situation before, did we? No, not that I'm aware of. And if the, you know, if the downstairs is really only 700, you know, the extent of your gamble is only, only 700 people. It just, it just doesn't make any sense to me in any other walk of life. It's like saying, right, well, you've got priority choice at the theatre, and we've got all your priority choice, you get the back seats. And then once we've sold it out to our loyal customers, we're going to give all the really good seats at the front to the people who never come, you know, or come less often. I'm not, I'm not biblically anybody who, who goes less than others, but you know, you've got a priority system in place for a reason. And then you're giving them what's, you know, why common parlance seems to be the place that people don't want to go. You know, everyone I speak to wants to go in the lower tier. And it's ridiculous that we're now holding off buying tickets for a game that's two weeks away, waiting for something to sell at the top. And it's it's a stalemate because we're not selling most tickets. And now today they put people, they put the lowest, apparently the lower tier is now on sale. We've now got people saying, well, I've just bought tickets on the upper and I want the lower. And they mistakenly put the lower tier on sale and you know, people like... Matt bought tickets and shouldn't, and you know, plenty of our friends have done the same thing. It's just, uh, it's not difficult, guys. Come on, we're going to take two and a half thousand people to QPR. Yeah, that's I can't I can't really add any more to it than that. I think uh, I think we've been let down, um, as a, and I think most Brentford fans would would feel the same. You know, a, a situation that is always going to be um, inevitable that both both upper and lower would be. You know, would be on sale at some stage because we we are always going to be taking more than fifteen hundred to QPR. You know, it, you're you're deranged if you think anything else. So you would sell you sell both first. So it, it would seem that uh, Queenspot Rangers are being bloody awkward, in which case we can be bloody awkward too. I know we can't we can't charge them more money, but it's not the fans' fault. So why should we? But we can only we will sell up. Hopefully, we'll sell upper. Um, Brain Morrow, um, Upper Book Road first um, when it comes to the home game, and then the people that want to want to stand up can't until uh, until it suits us. But I mean, you know, then you're just talking spit for spat, and, and that's just like it's not it's not the fans' fault, is it, Matt? No, exactly, and and ultimately it'll be the fans that will pay for that, plus the people that work in the QPR box office because. You can can you imagine it? I mean, I mean, it's even more defined isn't it at Brentford because downstairs is standing and upstairs is sitting. Um, but and, and if we did do that, and I'm sure we won't, but if we did do that, um, the sort of chaos it will cause at QPR when their most loyal away fans can't buy a ticket in the standing area, because, and and you know, and, it, and it's and I know it's slightly different, but it's but it is exactly the same. And so how can it be slightly different? But you know what I mean? Um, it, it you know would would it just seems like on, on if you put the, the shoe on their foot there. Their supporters there. How would they, you know, how would they feel about that? I'm sure they're going to, they'd feel pretty um, hard done by. I think the most important thing to remember is that anyone that actually wants a ticket for that game is going to get one. You know, we're not. It's it's not going to be a sellout, and we're not. We're not sort of looking for overcapacity. So maybe it was uh, the chill pill was always the best option there. But that's not not always easy to do. And also, let's uh, for all the millions of listeners who don't follow Brentford who, who tune into this podcast, it's not too much to ask to expect if you buy a ticket to a game to actually be able to see the whole pitch. You know, we're not talking about you know is it a slightly better view or you know, are we in the sun or got a view of you know Shepherd's Bush in the background. We're talking about can we see the goal underneath where we're sitting? And you know, we've all sat in that up here where you genuinely can't see the goal in front of you. It is a shite view from the top tier if you're in the wrong seats in that part of the ground and the reason people want to go lower here it's not a let's all stand together let's all sing together let's all you know get it it's because it's, you can see the whole of the pitch it's a dreadful place to watch football if you go in the upper tier you know that, that's that's the real issue but it's all right if you win so hopefully we'll go there <laughs> and we'll win if you see it so before we go to QPR, we have the small task of playing Millwall on Saturday. Uh, we catch up with the Achtun Millwall lot. Um, Billy introduces it, and we go to Five from the Hive. 
five from the hive. Millwall. Hi, my name is Nick Hart. I am a Millwall fan of over 45 years standing, unbelievably now. I'm also a podcaster for my sins with the Akdung Millwall show, and also recently a radio presenter on the Millwall fan show on Love Sport Radio. Millwall haven't had the best starts to the season. What's the difference between this season and last, where you finished just outside the playoffs? I'd say the main difference between this season and last season, to be really blunt, is is luck. Um, we had a hell of a lot of luck at times in that unbelievable 17-game unbeaten run that, that projected us towards the playoff spot and that uh, cat- cataclysmic game against Fulham towards the end of the season last year. I'm thinking of luck. I mean, Brentford will be um, nursing still the um, the game where we beat, uh, beat you know, I think it was 2-1, and um, I think you hit the post about three or four times in that game. We rode our luck on that occasion and many others. This season, by contrast, we've it's been a funny one. We've lost players like Jules Saville, um, a little bit of interest coming in from the outside for the likes of Jed Wallace at times, Jake Cooper, our central defender. And I think there's been an unsettled start. We've also had no luck at all, where we had all the luck in the world last year. The only luck we've had this season has been bad luck. Um, we've hit the post the woodwork ourselves a good few times. We had penalty decisions given against us by uh, semi-corrupt referees. And um, it's just not, not clicked. We've also brought in new new players, such as Ryan Leonard, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and it's just taken a bit of time to bed in. I am glad to say, though, Brentford listeners, that finally the Lions are starting to come to their, their very best. So um, I'm, I'm anticipating improved form from here onwards going towards Christmas. Saturday saw you thump Ipswich. A good result for the war. But by all accounts, they were poor. You have Marlon Romeo, son of Soul to Soul's Jesse B, playing for you. Has the result seen Millwall come? Our style of play this season um, is it's the same as last season, in all honesty. It's uh, it's direct. The football is played in the opposition's final third. Well, that's the intention of it. It um, hasn't always worked out that way at times. Um, I'm not sure whether other teams have sussed us out, as, as some would say. Um, whether you know the passing style is indeed the beautiful game. I've, I've admired what Brentford have done um, you know, historically with, with, with the style of play that you, you have. Um, whether one's better than the other is a matter of opinion, subjective. I don't think that the Mill crowd is one that would accept the passing style and the patience required for it uh, for very long. So um, this season it's, it's, it's been um, a, quite a case of trying to get back to um, you know, business as normal for the Lions. Um, we thumped Ipswich at the weekend, 3-0. That felt like business back to normal again. Um, they were poor. That's, that's got to be said. It's, it's an interesting division now, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the gap in wealth between the top teams and those at the bottom and the, you know, the, the, the golfing quality that that, that brings. Um, Ipswich, of course, uh, got rid of Mick McCarthy, much to their... They're probably ruining that choice now. And the, the manager, um, whose name escapes me, was, was sacked just before the Mill game. That's, incidentally, that's true Mill style. The the manager whose name escapes me, um, we're known for not giving two hoots for the opposition and we don't really care who he was, to be absolutely honest. But recent games, yeah, we've started to show that fire in the belly again. We, we've made some great um, comebacks at, at Nottingham Forest. You might have seen it on the TV. And, and more recently, we've come from behind against Aston Villa for a 2-1 win. So, um, yeah, the, the Lions are starting to get their mojo back. The mojo went for a little while, but now it's been found. And um, I think we're starting to kickstart our season at last. Ex-Brentford Loney George Saville has moved on to pastures new at Borough. Ryan Leonard has slipped into his boots. Has he stepped up to the plate? The summertime was dominated by rumours of interest for Middlesbrough, money, coming in for George Savile and Jed Wallace as a joint deal. I think that unsettled the squad, to be absolutely honest. Savile, uh, initially we thought we'd done enough to keep him. Then he went in that strange second transfer window that the, the, the footballing, our, our social betters in the, in the football authorities were deemed appropriate. So we had the first um, transfer 
um, window, which we we managed to get him get him through that unscathed. But then he went in the second round, bringing in eight million pounds, um, which is big money for Millwall, to be absolutely honest. Um, in came Ryan Leonard with some of that that money um, from Sheffield United, formerly of Southend United, so a player known to Neil Harris, who, who um, is from that area uh, as a boy, but also played there towards the latter part of his career at Roots Hall. Um, I really like the look of Ryan Leonard. It's taken him a few games to get with it and to get into the into the Millwall approach and probably find his feet at the den. It, it is a a uh, highly specific stadium. I know um, every club thinks of themselves as unique, um, but I do think the Den requires a certain type of attitude and, and fire to 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 start to um, you know to, to be successful at. Um, and now we're starting to see it increasing with Ryan Leonard. He, he also brings a very Millwall attribute, which we've never really seen strangely, which is the long throw for a team that's always been known as being direct. Um, we've never really had anyone. There's all that much use with a long throw. I remember a few years ago, about 10 years ago, a Canadian player called Adrian Seriu, who had an immensely long throw, but nothing else to his game. Now, that's something you can't say about Ryan Leonard. He is a real dynamo in midfield. Um, he's got touch, quality and control. He gives 100% and he's got a decent long throw. So, um, very much a Millwall player. He looks like a Millwall player. He's starting to feel like a Millwall player now. So, we have high hopes for Ryan Lendog as he's known on, on Twitter. Jules Saville. I like Jules Saville. He, he did well for us in that in that unbeaten run last season. Um, some unfortunate comments at the end of his um, tenure at Millwall. Um, that he saw, saw us as a stepping stone, um, which has probably generated more hostility towards him than really was necessary. Um, a good player. He wasn't a Millwall player. He was passing through. And those remarks probably... Um, you know, there's probably a statement of truth. We've, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in situations where, you know, ships that pass in the night, so to speak, without taking this as a family show. We won't go any further down that road. But, um, yeah, George Savile's now resting his backside on the bench up at, at Middlesbrough and not, um, you know, not, not, not feeling the love up there, so we hear. Um, I think the Germans have a word for that, and that's called Schadenfreude, uh, taking pleasure in the misfortunes of one of your neighbours. So um, I'm afraid that's a touch of the old schadenfreude for, for Jules Savile for, at the den. One player to keep your eye on is a forgotten man. This is quite a story, incidentally. Uh, Shane Ferguson, a Northern Irish international. He was last really seen in League One uh, playing for Millwall. Um, a kind of an adaptable winger come left back. Uh, one of those players that sometimes is in danger of being neither and he certainly suffered when we got into the championship. Other players like James Meredith have come in, taken his spots. Uh, he's not been seen. And we've got Ben Marshall on loan last season, who did very well for us. Now gone to Norwich for you know huge sums of money apparently per week. And Shane Ferguson drifted, and he was I think he was told he could go during the summertime. Um, minimal, if any, interest in him. He stuck around, and now unbelievably, as if in a, a Hollywood. Uh, film plot, he's actually played his way back into contention and is looking a man transformed. It really is quite a story. So um, he should be expected to start on Saturday at Brentford. Um, he's he's certainly, um, whatever they've been feeding him on, I don't know. They've put something in his tea, perhaps, that's produced um, some some kind of um, you know rocket-fueled um, additive. My, I remember my old granddad put some additive in his old uh, full Granada engine and went it like a rocket, he told me. And it's something like that that's gone into... Shane Ferguson's tea because he is a man transformed. Really good. Um, he scored a goal, critical goal, the equalising goal against Aston Villa, and he's put himself into the mix. His crossing has seemed to has improved immensely. So, who knows what's happened to him at the Calmont Road training ground? But whatever it is, it's good stuff. Neil Harris is the eleventh longest serving manager in all four leagues, three and a half years. How important is he to the DNA of Millwall? Managers never stay in one place, though. Can you see him moving on? Neil Harris, what a man, what a player, what a manager. Um, can we imagine him ever leaving Millwall, managing anywhere else? He's a professional, and we all have to be realistic in this life. There was a, a period during our, our wobbly form at the start of this season where one or two questions were starting to be raised about Neil Harris and has he gone as far as he can go, has he taken us as far as we can go, and then 
somehow he got the fire in the belly back into the squad. It's starting to look and feel like a Millwall side again. And no manager, no player, no manager understands the requirements of the Millwall crowd more than Neil Harris. So if the question is, can I imagine him moving on? Is he part of the DNA of the of, of the stadium? Yes, he very much is part of the DNA of our, of our club. Can I imagine him managing anywhere, anywhere else? He could probably do a job um, a number of clubs like ours. They, uh, uh, it's hard to imagine him, um, you know, elsewhere. But I mean, look at the likes of Sean Dyche for Burnley, um, and uh, Derek McInnes. I think did well for a while up in Scotland. Who was an ex Millwall player. So, yes, of course, I could imagine him doing okay at other other clubs. Will he be as loved? Will he have the depth of relationship? Will he be given the uh, the credit in terms of time to? To, to change things around and to as as we've just been for a wobbly wobbly phase, would he get that anywhere else? No, um, there are some clubs that suit some men, and Neil Harris is such a man, and I can't picture Neil Harris wanting to go elsewhere, and I can't imagine anywhere feeling in the same way towards him as Zampa Road the Den does. Dean Smith left Brentford on one of those dodgy runs and we are currently bottom of the form books. Does that fill you with confidence? How do you think our passing game will fare against your more direct style of football? Give us a score prediction. Dean Smith left you, didn't he? Um, He's seen himself as moving on to bigger and better things. Um... I wouldn't like that as a if I were a Brentford fan, which um, which I'm not clearly. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's the same with George Savile. I've really made that point that when players start to talk about moving on to bigger and better things, stepping stones, blah blah blah, um, that strikes at the heart of of who you are as a football club because um, they're just clearly there as, as as employees, and we're here for life, aren't we? It's a blonde, a blood bond. A bit like being attached to the land in the old medieval times. So, um, no, Dean Smith moving on has clearly had an impact at Brentford. Um, you've gone from, you know, flirtation with the with the top six to going on a run of form now that's, um, you know, out, out of the uh, out of the black book. Um, Brentford Millwall games are always interesting. There's always a clash of styles, and it's nice to see a clash of styles. I think the both sets of fans always enjoy uh, the Brentford Millwall match. It, there is no deep rivalry in the same way as it would be if we were playing, let's say, a West Ham or a Chelsea or a Spurs, someone of that of that order. Um, there's no kind of, um, you know, venom. But it's an interesting London derby. And the fact that both teams have their own way of playing the game um, produces always an interesting outcome. I've always respected what Brentford have done with themselves, the, the style of play that uh, managers have developed at Griffin Park. Um, I will miss Griffin Park, incidentally. I think it's one of the great football grounds of our of our English football league, and it's yeah, you know, times have to move on, and we all know that uh, Brentford need to develop as a club. But I will miss the the old ground with a pub on each corner. Um, Saturday's result. At the moment, Brentford are bad, run a bad form, but that's no great guide against Millwall because we always do the complete opposite to whatever you expect us to do. If there's one lesson you want to learn out of following the Lions for 45 years, it is never, ever bet on Millwall because they would do the opposite to whatever you've backed them to do. So um, I'm going to go for a draw on Saturday. Um, both sides could do with a point, and um, I think that's probably the best result that we can aim for at the moment. So Brentford 1, Millwall 1 is my call. So we have the Lions down at Griffin Park on Saturday. We've lost three on the trot. You don't need me to remind you of that. We certainly need to get November back up and running. We need to put October behind us. We need three points. Uh, It doesn't seem like we can buy a win at the moment. I think a win will just lift the mood. Thomas Frank doesn't seem to have done a huge amount wrong. I think it's just very much the same as. Um, I'm not sure Dean Smith would have done any, particularly anything different. Um, we're, we're, we're just waiting for players that we know that can perform better to perform better. I think that for me, the Preston North End game, I'd, I'd given Canos, I'd given Watkins a little bit of a bit of a you know uh, slagging. Uh, in the in the week before that, they both scored. 
that's what we need. We need goal scorers. We need to score lots of goals. We need to stop conceding silly goals. The Dutch, go to the Dutch, then the Allah, then back to me. What do you hope for? What do you expect from Saturday? Um, what's your prediction? Well, that's it. there's a danger that you want to change everything, isn't there? And yeah, you have to look at all your options when you've just lost three in a row. But yeah, as we discussed at length on the pod and, and in the pub, we haven't done an awful lot wrong. Yeah, a little bit of luck going the wrong way. And uh, yeah, you, you, we, we're not going to change it very much. Or we're going to play the same team, and we, we might have one or two you know, midfield changes and stuff. But it's going to be the, the eleven that we know and love. And, and if we play to our full potential that we know we should, it's a game that we want to win. No, not because it's Millwall, but because. You know, prior to the Bristol game, we, we you know, it's Fortress Griffin Park, isn't it? You know, we've, we've hardly lost for you know a long period of time over there, and um, we, we've got the defence back, got Mepham back. You'd expect us to beat Millwall, and I, and I say that with no disrespect at all. They're, they're an up and down team as well. They're a team that's done very well to hold a position in the Championship. They're a team I've got a lot of time for. I've got a little, lot of Millwall mates. So I've got a lot of time for as well. Could win at the weekend against Ipswich, but to be fair, most people beat Ipswich at the moment. Um, still have a little bit of confidence, but so give us a number. We've got, to, we've got to, we've got to want to win, haven't we? You know, we don't expect it. We don't, we don't, we don't do disrespect on this podcast, um, but we do expect to win at home most so, times. And so I am going to go for a very confident. Do you know, what? I'm going to go for a three-nil Brentford win. Bluebells, bells with knobs on. That's that's a good one. The Allard. Um, I think there's a few, uh, you know, I assume Makocho won't be fit. Um, so there's an opportunity to try, well, I don't even know if there is an opportunity because it, it, actually in recent home games, the midfield is normally Josh, Lewis McLeod and um, and Sawyers. So maybe Makocho actually doesn't start at home so much. But Makocho's out. I think we'll flip it a little bit in midfield. I'd be surprised if that is... The, the, the three midfielders, I would imagine that Yanaris will come in. Um, I would think the back four, I can imagine, yeah, I can see Barba and Dalsgaard as left and right back, and then Konza and Mepa make sense. Um, I think Canos, for, for me, is slow and it's slow, but I just see a, a Canos sort of, there's a turn and Canos is starting to come good slowly. Um, he's been really disappointing for quite some time now, probably since he came back from his last injury. Um, but I just think he's slowly getting there. Um, Watkins must play, I assume. So you know, and then and then obviously Malpay up front, which doesn't give space for Ben Rama to come in. Although you know, p- people make an argument that he could he could play on um, on Saturday. Um, I'm not quite sure where you know how he comes in really. Um, so I think I think it's we're dealing with what we know. Um, it's not going to be anything massively different. I think we need, you know, it's, it's so clear that we need to get the confidence up and, and you know, those that chance, that Mope miss at our last home game event um, against um, Bristol City, um, that needs to go in next, on Saturday. And if it does, things will turn. Um, yeah, yeah I, I can't disagree with any of that. I, dis, I think we're not going to see huge changes, if any at all. The Ben Rama, um, Canos... Uh, conundrum that's that's obviously gonna you know, that's gonna play on the on the on the head coach's mind probably up until he picks the team um it's much of a muchness to be honest with you you know they 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 both both sort of flattered to deceive sometimes they both got huge potential but they need to deliver it Ben Rama I would I would argue that he's probably delivered more over the season so far than Canos but you know Canos is is always good to have in the team because he's, he's he always seems up for it he doesn't always deliver but you know he, Ben Rama's delivered more yellow and red cards I'll give you that yeah yeah we, that's that's the other thing we we need to not do is um to, to lose our discipline you know we, we talked about this a lot so you know I'll go my, I'm going to go 3-1. I think we will concede. I think Dan Bentley will 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 be in goal, um, and uh, you know I, I, I just think hope, hopefully this week we'll get what we deserve. I, I think it'd be a nervy one 0 to Brentford. That's kind of where I am. Um, I think um, it, it takes a result to turn things, and um, hopefully that will come Saturday. So clean sweep. Three Brentford victories around the table from the Dutchman, from the Allard, and from me, Dave Lane. No points, no points. Shut your face. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, yeah. We're not going to get nine points from one victory. So yeah, it doesn't quite work like that way. So yeah, thanks. I hope you've enjoyed tonight. 
Um, thanks to the Prince Belusha for their hospitality. Uh, always great down here. If you've got any tiny functions, how many can you get around here? Two, four, six, seven. If you've got a seven yeah. seven person party, <laughs> um, come and hire the little cobby hole in uh, in the Prince Belusha. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, always good for whatever they do down here. What are they Sunday lunch now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got a type. If you need a t- if you need a typewriter as well, they've yeah. got one down here, and some and some rugby boots. So yeah, all that's left for me to say really is on Halloween. Come on, you The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.